The scripture reading today is from John chapter 4, verses 1 through 38. Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing, making more disciples than John. Though Jesus himself did not baptize them, his disciples did. So he went to Judea and returned to Galilee. He had to go through Samaria on the way. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near a field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If only you knew the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. Go ahead and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here, at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming where it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then, the disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, Come and see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from, the doing, the, from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing the, his work. You know the saying, Four months between planting and harvest. But I say, Wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits the planter and the harvester alike? You know the saying, one plants and another harvests. 
And it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather their harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Holly and Lewis and Harrison. Very, very well read. So we continue our series on Connect. Two weeks ago we talked about Connect where you are, wherever you are. Last week it was Connect where you live. Uh, and the everydayness of, of the rhythm of your life, people you see on a regular basis. Today we talk about Connect where you go. We could call it Connect wherever you go. In what uh, the Browns just read, uh, you find Jesus crossing a human-generated boundary. He goes through Judea, through Samaria, which Jews ordinarily would avoid. Goes all the way to Sychar and offers living water to this woman who so desperately needed it. And he crossed human-generated boundaries. And they were generated by what? Racism? Nationalism? Politics? Theological differences? So I want us to talk this morning not just about connecting with people out there wherever you go on the mission field, but connecting wherever you go, crossing those lines of other races and ethnicities and political persuasions and socioeconomic statuses. Back in 1990, Saddam Hussein invaded the little nation of Kuwait. Some of us remember that. Saudi Arabia assumed that they were next on the hit list, so they got on the phone to Washington And President Bush took the call, and he wound up in turn calling the nations of England and Canada and Spain and France and Turkey and South Korea and Egypt and many, many others and formed what is now known as the famous coalition, a number of countries that gathered together as one. I think we have a picture of the 25th anniversary uh, that was celebrated just a few years ago, and this is in Kuwait. These are Kuwaiti soldiers carrying all the different flags of that coalition, a great, great celebration. It was amazing because men and women from different backgrounds and races and classes and cultures and personalities all gathered with a singularly focused agenda, which was to do what? To do, as President Bush said, to draw a line in the sand, to let this madman know that his days of brutal aggression were over, that he was not going to take over parts of the world that were not his. Now, there's another mad person today, and he is attempting to take over territory that he did not create, that he doesn't own, but as he has tried to do so, he has brought death and disease and destruction upon us. He's been known by different names throughout history, Satan, Diabolos, Diablo, the devil, the evil one. I remember when Greg Boyd last year, brilliant, brilliant Holly Hull lecturer, spoke here on spiritual warfare, and it was just, just amazing. His book, God at War, is just incredible. And, and sometimes we have unfortunately in the church sensationalized the term spiritual warfare, but it is indeed spiritual warfare out there. I think of the J.I. Packer quote. I think we have it up here. J.I. Packer, the great Reformed theologian, said, like it or not, Each of us is personally at war with the devil, for the devil has personally declared war 
upon each of us. No doubt that is pure truth. But God has responded by building up his own coalition of brothers and sisters, red and yellow, black and white, a coalition of people from different colors and backgrounds and political parties and ethnicities to draw a line in the sand and serve notice to him that if his days are not quite over, they will be soon. That indeed, really, the victory is already won. We just have battles to face, living in what theologians call the already but not yet. But we have drawn a line in the sand. And that coalition is called the church. We talked last week, and of course, Greg Davis, I don't see him here. I must have shamed him too badly last week. But we talked about the meaning of the word church. Ecclesia, which means, anybody remember? Called out, okay. Tell Greg, oh, Mrs. Davis is here, okay. <laughs> Among others, I heard others say it too. Called out. We're the ones who are called out, and we are called out to all people of every kind, no matter how different they are from us. And just as Saddam was defeated, so Satan will be defeated. And, and, and you know, when you're in a war, you don't care about the color or race or culture or politics of the person next to you so long as they're shooting in the same direction that you are. And if you follow Jesus, you're in a war, and it's made up of an army of people who are often different from you and me, who often see things differently from you and me. But we don't always live as if we are on the same side, do we? We need to be doing that now more than ever. Racial hatred remains. Just this past week, uh, you might have seen in the news about these African Americans who were facing all kinds of, of racial slurs and threats at a, at a GM plant in Ohio. And I, I didn't want to show the pictures of nooses that people were putting around in different places, scribbling uh, demeaning racial uh, slurs on walls, and not even listening to their supervisors who were of a different race, just because they were of a different race, showing all kinds of disrespect and showing venomous threats their way. And our enemy, the evil one, laughs, revels in it, loves that. We have people who spew racial and political hatred regularly on television. We see it on social media, even among people who claim to be followers of Jesus. And in no way does it glorify him. In no way does it glorify the Holy One, the Prince of Peace. Christ followers, you and I are at war and we've got to fight together. We've got to rise above and transcend the hatred of our neighbors, especially those who were most tempted not to love. You know, we've got this theme this year, connect bonding neighbors with Christ. Bonding neighbors with Christ. Well, are you willing to reach out and love for your neighbor, regardless of that person's color or who they voted for, what denomination they're a part of? Perhaps the, the most known parable, well, I'll say prodigal son is the best known. I'd say second is Good Samaritan. And, and I think we learn that often to, to say, be a neighbor to each other. But really, Jesus is answering a question from a teacher of the law, which was, who is my neighbor? Let's look at that in Luke. Luke chapter 10. This is just before Jesus launches into 
the parable of the Good Samaritan. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. Look at the very next sentence that we all too tragically speed past. The man, and I love the NLT on this, the man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? What is the teacher of the law wanting to justify? The limitation of his love just to the people whom he wants to deem his neighbor because they are just like him, a homogenous Jew. I don't want to have to love that Samaritan who becomes the hero in that story Jesus is about to tell. How often do you and I, deep down, ask ourselves, who really is my neighbor? And can I justify the limitation of my love because I don't agree with this person? I don't see things like that person does. That person doesn't look like me, act like me. How often do you and I do that? And Jesus makes the Samaritan the neighbor. He's telling this homogenous Jew, that is your neighbor, the person you least want to have as a neighbor the person you least want to love. We're at war, brothers and sisters. We're at war with this diabolical evil who wants Christians to say they love people, but they really hate some. However, overtly or subtly, they want to do it. Can we be family for just a moment? Can we be I've never shared this before, but... Uh, in a state other than our own where I was working a number of years ago, I was interim pastor of a church. And I was there for about a year, and they were lovely people. And uh, uh, I was able to help them get some things settled and smooth some, some things out during the time there and enjoyed worshiping with them and fellowship, fellowshipping with them. And I remember the, the, the final Sunday, uh, it's kind of a small town, but they rented out this back room, you know, and they had a, you know appreciation kind of lunch thing, and, and I, I was honored, and we were sitting there talking and, and reveling in memories of the past year, and uh, really, the, the matriarch of the church, I don't know how else to put it, she was a matriarch of the church, a musician in the church, you had been a deacon in the church, highly regarded, and I remember she started off on a story, and she wound up incorporating some content to the story that I didn't really understand why it was there, and, 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 and it involved people of a different race, And she turned to me at one point and said, and as you know, Dr. Barnett, there is a difference. And I wasn't quite sure what she was saying. I was hoping that she wasn't saying what I thought she could be saying, but no, no, couldn't be. And she began to talk about how there really is a difference between our race, all the people who were there, and this other race, and began to offer a lecture on the different traits of that race as opposed to our own in a way that elevated ours and demeaned theirs. And I will never forget that. I, I, I didn't know what to say. Uh, painful, painful memory. And to be honest, I've never really shared it, but that's been on my mind a lot this week because uh, what, what I learned from that is this, because it was delivered in such a nice way. It was more subtle. I learned at that point that there can be this kind of polite racism, a benign racism, that that we can sometimes tolerate 
for ourselves and others when, when I don't think Jesus wants us to do that. Uh, it is not benign. It, it is malignant because it is maligning a whole people group. I remember being in that dining hall. <laughs> and it got real quiet at one point. It was very awkward. And I heard laughter. I heard I heard Satan laughing. I heard Satan taunting us. It's time we fight back with Jesus' primary weapon, which is love. Do you remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus said, be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect? Is he saying that you and I have the capacity to be perfect? Of course not. What has he just been talking about? And by the way, the word there for perfect is telos. It means complete brought into fullness, or as F.F. Bruce says, all-encompassing. What was he talking about just before he said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect? He's talking about loving your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. For, for, for the rain falls on the just and the unjust. You've got to love everybody, and not just in a general way where you can say, I love everybody. You've got to do it up close and personal. You've got to be complete and all-encompassing in your love for others. It's interesting how it worked out. We're talking about this on Martin Luther King weekend, um, and we can remind ourselves what Martin Luther King once said, that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning or whatever hour it is that churches meet, it's still the most segregated hour in America. And I thought to myself, thanks be to God, we are so blessed by our relationship with True Vine. Are are you blessed by that relationship with True Vine? Are you blessed by that? I want to hear, is anybody blessed by that relationship with True Vine Church? Okay. It's an amazing group, and we need to be so uh, uh, dedicated to connecting with them in every way, not just by helping folks over there, as they often help us and bless us, but, but we need to show them that we are neighbors with them. They are counting on us for that, not just how we can help, but how they are indeed beloved neighbors, you know, on the back of the connect card you know uh, uh, at one point we talk about how we connect and we talk about an active passion for missions a tribe that cares for each other an intergenerational family the last one is this an amazing interracial partnership with true vine evangelical church and i remember thinking i don't know if we should do that is that not a good thing to promote and to use the word interracial would that be politically incorrect and i called ralph garth called pastor garth and i said listen this word interracial i mean is that what do you think about our using that? And he said, man, absolutely, that's what, it about, what it's about. I'll never forget, he said, Jim, it's not just ministry, it's being a light of racial reconciliation. That's what this city needs. That's what we're about. Not just helping each other, but being a beacon of light of racial reconciliation. And maybe there'll be some other ways we can learn to do that even more effectively, but here's one way you can do it on February 24th. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago, Brian talked about this opportunity that he came up with, our first joint worship service with True Vine in the chapel the evening of February 24th at 6 p.m. Am I right? 6 p.m. Make it a point to be there, to let these folks know, we're not just helping you from afar. And you're not just blessing us when you come here to gifts of the family or some special worship service. We're neighbors. We're beloved neighbors. We're at war. 
And we've got to fight together as fellow believers, even with people, believers who are different from us, who disagree with us, who are more challenging for us to love. And I was reminded this week, there, there's an obscure passage that you find in Joshua chapter 5, and, and it's, it's kind of a standalone uh, three verses, but it's very interesting. It's just before Joshua's going to fit the battle of Jericho, as you know, but there was this one little incident that occurred, and, and it popped up in my mind this week. This is Joshua uh, chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. It's right at the end of that chapter, and it says this, when Joshua, Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? Neither one, he replied, I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, and this is how you know it's God himself. Remember Moses with the burning bush? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. My brothers, my sisters, my tribe, do, do, do we know that we are standing on holy ground as we do battle with evil? And, 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 and do we know that the last thing we need to do is engage in friendly fire against one another? Instead of going after our enemy, the devil, we spend way too much time just as Joshua said, what, are you friend or foe? Well, I know you're a believer, but are you on my side on this or the other side of this? Are you friend or foe? <laughs> We're all of the same coalition, the same army. And we are called to go to battle together. Which brings us to the table, you know, <laughs> They wanted Jesus to be, what kind of Messiah did they want him to be? They wanted him to be a political a king, a political president. They wanted him to be a, a, a warrior. And Jesus tried to help them understand, I'm not that kind of king. I am not that kind of Messiah. I'm not that kind of warrior. The victory I'm going to bring is simply through love. He showed us that on the cross. That's his form of victory in battle. By the breaking of his body and the shedding of his blood. Let's pray together. Forgive us, O oh God, when in any way we hold persons different from us at arm's length whether or not they're believers, but in many ways, oh God, especially if they're believers, because of something we find different in them, something we might even find objectionable. Teach us, oh God, what it means to be a part of your coalition, drawing a line in the sand against the evil one. May we fight as one. And so now, as your son Jesus won the battle, saying it is finished, tetelestai, the victory is won. We still have battles to face, so we have a deep, deep need to remember what your son did so that we can continue forth in the battle. As he broke his body, shed his blood, in ways that are different, we find ourselves broken and bloodied when we try to love this world that can be so antagonistic and hateful. 
but it's what you call us to do. May this meal of which we partake remind us of just that. We pray these things in your name. Amen.